All right, well, we are back with the with the one and only uh, Danae. I am Jordan Bonner. I am uh, I'm the host for you know the Delaware College Scholars podcast. I'm and I'm, I'm excited, you know, to get to roll this episode out um, with my with my friend, um, just for us to talk about sort of her life. And really for us to have an opportunity to understand the person beyond, you know, the title. We see all the amazing work that you do on, on LinkedIn, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, just go ahead and give our audience an opportunity to just, you know, who is, who is Danae? What are you about? Sure. So my name is Danae Crumrine, and the title that Jordan talked about is Corporate Communications Manager for Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield Delaware. There's a lot more rolled into that uh, that we can talk about, but Yep, I'm thrilled to be here. Jordan is a good friend, so I'm just honored to be part of this series. Um, and shout out to Tony, too, for all the work that you guys are doing. Um, how deep do you, do you want to start asking me questions? No, I, mean, I just, just, want, no, I just wanted it? you to yeah, just talk about, you yeah. know, yeah, just introduce yourself, your role. Um, but no, I'm going to go, we'll talk about your role at Highmark um, in a little bit. I want to go to your background and your upbringings, you know, in Hartford County, Maryland. What was it like growing there, uh, growing up there, um, and sort of how, yeah, just, yeah, how, yeah. how was, yeah. So Harford County, and that's no T, so not to be confused with Hartford, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut or mm-hmm. other locations. Um, not too far off from this, you know, Newark, Delaware kind of feel, very suburbanite. Um, I grew up with a younger brother and my two parents in Havity Grace, Maryland. Um, yeah, and I just kind of had a very typical, I feel it was typical, uh, upbringing, you know, Mm -hmm. I, we were very comfortable. We were, my parents are both, uh, trades people. My mom is a cosmetologist. My dad is a mechanic. So grew up just understanding what it was like to work really hard using a talent and a skill that involved your hands that involved, um, you know, physical labor, basically. And yeah, we were never in one, but I don't think we realized that there were, you know, uh, other kind of lifestyles out there until we got a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my parents always provided for us and we had, I had a great childhood. I had a great, um, great family life experience. So very yeah. lucky. Yeah. I mean, you talk, so you just touched upon it a little bit and I'm a, you know, I'm going to go a little bit underneath the surface. Um, because being in Have the Grace, right, and then even in the community that you lived in, it was predominantly, um, you know, a, a white community, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And yep. most people don't know either um, is that you are adopt, you're adopted too, right? Yep. So like, how was how was it navigating sort of being in that, being one of the only ones? When did you realize that you were that that you were different? Yeah, I love talking about that story with my family. So uh, my my parents are white, and my brother is also white, although his uh, background is somewhat rooted in um, his his one one side of his family is Puerto Rican, actually, that immigrated here. Uh, so we definitely had a very interesting view of family and what a family looks like, and. Uh, I think my parents and the and even my extended family really exemplified that family goes beyond blood. It goes beyond um, DNA. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. It's an action um, as much as it is a feeling. And I'm really thankful for the way that they kind of 
showed that to us, that love um, and, and what family could and can look like. And it's not always a traditional sense of things. Um, but yeah, so growing up where we were, mostly white, I really wasn't exposed to other people of color until more middle school and then into high school. Um, but, and you asked, when did, I, what, what, for me being Asian, I, I never would have been able to not think I was <laughs> different from my parents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and they did a wonderful job of just always explaining that, you know, they couldn't bear children, but they knew that they were called by God to be parents. And so whatever that path was, they took it. Um, I don't think I really understood race as an identity at that point because my family was white, so I wasn't seeing myself in them, but that never bothered me. And I know that that's not always the case for folks. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I would never go as far as to say I identify as a white person, but I certainly don't feel that my upbringing lent me to feel, you know, to identify as an Asian person. Um, and I think it all became somewhat non inconsequential, honestly, to my upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, what we did have, though, in spades was humor. And so that just came out a lot in terms of like, oh, my gosh, like, whose mom is that, you know, at sporting events? And it was my mom and she's blonde haired and blue eyed. And I'd say, oh, that's my mom. Mm -hmm. People be like, oh, what? Oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, well, I'm not sorry that she's my mom, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, just, and we would joke about it. I remember one time Gary and I were on a mission trip and he was telling some girls that I was his sister and our mom was there too. And he said, well, she's adopted. And I went, what? I was like 14 or something. And I just, we just played this whole thing yeah. of, oh no, you know, my mom's like, oh gosh, like this isn't how we wanted you to find right. out. <laughs> and I mean, we went with it and it was just, it's just, it was, it was just funny. And if, if that opens up the door for the conversation to be had, then that's great. But it was never a source of contention or insecurity for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it was, it was. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I feel like as you as you've gotten older, though, and like you've had to, you've had the vocabulary and, and you know more experiences now. Experiences now. Mm -hmm. um, how have you, you grappled with it, or do you feel like you still have a good handle on on your identity and the dualities of that? Oh man, that's such a great question. Again, yeah, I you know I part of me wishes that I had had a little more exposure to my. I guess, ethnic culture, um, just, but honestly, just for the sake of the fact that I feel like as Americans, generally speaking, we're very ignorant to other societies and other cultures, and we're very easy, it's very quick, very quick to um, think that our way is the right way, or to almost lose respect for the way that other cultures work. Um, and I, I think that's sad. And I think that it, it's unfortunate that I did not kind of grow up understanding maybe what my biological family valued and, um, you know, maybe traditions that they practice. That said, we make our own paths. And um, I think one of the one of the things that comes up a lot, though, is, you know, we talk a lot about diversity nowadays. Right. That's such mm -hmm. a big um, buzzword, it's become right? a buzzword. Right. Uh -huh. I, I know that, I know is a strong word. I, I believe that there are times in my life that I've been afforded opportunities based on my appearance. 
and the phrase that I use is we photograph well, you photograph well. We look good in pictures, and I don't mean we're beautiful people, but we are, which mm. we are. Um, yeah. I just mean that, you know, if you if they host a picture of you and me together with some other white people, mm. it looks good. Mm -hmm. It looks like we're, check, we're checking boxes. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of have to laugh because coming to that table, I'm not bringing the diverse perspective that they think I'm bringing. Mm. I am bringing a diverse perspective. It's just not the one that they automatically assume I'm bringing, right? So... Um, I always think that that's an interesting approach, and I hope that eventually, sooner rather than later, we get to a point where diversity is not about what we look like, but it's about uh, the life experiences that we're bringing. And now, some life experiences will be tied to the color of your skin or to the way that you look um, or where you were brought up. But I don't think that that should be the first kind of... Assumption, right? Yeah, like train stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, because... It's easy to associate even being black, right, with the struggle. And you had to be, you know, raised in the hood. And that may not be the case for everybody. And does that make you any less black if that's not your story? I think you should be aware of the history where you have come from. But that, that shouldn't invalidate your experiences if they are not necessarily the norm or what society sure. deems the norm Absolutely. or standard, right? Yeah. Hmm. What does diversity mean? And we talked we talked about this already, yeah. right? We had a long discussion about the difference between diversity, equity, inclusion. I even shun away from even having this conversation because we hear it so much and people, you know, like I think it's just it's very popular to have that that that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, well, honestly, and maybe well, I'm just going to say the more we talk about it, or let's say the more we talk around it, the more, the less of a, let me get my words together. We shouldn't have to talk about it so much is really what I'm getting at. It should just be. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's not the case and I'm thinking idyllically, but um, I just feel like the more that we are having, talking around it, the more that we create DE&I initiatives within the workplace, the farther away we get from the heart of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, because it should just, and we've talked about this, like I, I hate that that diversity is the first word in any of these initiatives. It should be inclusivity or mm -hmm. maybe even equity. Mm -hmm. One of the two should be first um, because with equity and with inclusivity, you're going to breed diversity by forcing diversity does not necessarily mean you're being equitable, and by forcing diversity doesn't necessarily mean that you're being an inclusive environment. So I think we have to understand that there are different layers involved and that they all kind of work together in different ways, but and maybe it's more of a circular relationship than it is a linear. Mm. Um, but yeah, so we can we could spend hours talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I just had to mention it because I know we've had discussion before. Um, before We're nerds. We, we huh? literally sat on the phone and defined diversity, but, equity, but like, and but like we were going back and forth. You were like, so we we're like, so if it means this, then like, like, so what? And it, it, I don't know. What were you doing? Were you working on? You working on some I statement was, or something? I was working like on that, a right? statement uh, that I was submitting to Public Relations Society of America, and I don't think they used my thoughts, so <laughs> I didn't get is that any a reflection of us. I sorry? didn't get any affirmation there, oh, man. <laughs> but I still feel strongly about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that was a good conversation for sure. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Like, I can't move past your upbringing without talking about 
the importance of faith, right? And that's mm-hmm. how you and I really, um, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, the impetus for our for our friendship. I remember being um, Tony had made the connection and just meeting with you and kind of doing an informal tree fall, right? Um, that's an LDI plug, but uh, and we were talking, and you were just like, yeah, you know, I'm just so blessed for, you know, this opportunity. I have my or, words that I drop. You have your words yeah, that you drop. And I was like, and I was like, what? I was like. Prayerful, I think yeah, is the you word You said that, prayerful, yeah, yeah. Prayerful. And I was like, yeah, you can't use, blessed people, everybody uses blessed, but you said prayerful. And I was like, okay, nah, she, she, she may, she may be Christian. And I was just like, yo, like, are you, are you Christian? Yeah. Man? And you were yeah. like, yeah. And then we just started talking, yada, yada, yada. Um, hmm. I forgot how I want to ask this question. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a big part of your identity and mm-hmm. you being unapologetically you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. what attracted me to you and our friendship is that I never seen that demonstrated in the workplace, right? And professionally, sure. right? Sure. So have you just presented yourself, right? And yeah. your authentic self. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I feel like we have to conform to society or what is acceptable, especially in, you know, we have to be careful, right? right? You have to you kind of anybody, right? Right, um, and I think being a faith-based person, whatever faith you you follow, whatever religion you subscribe to, always comes with, and I and I'm I think I'm okay to say always comes with some level of negative connotation from somebody else, um, and so that's why I use words like that because I want to open the door, and I don't want it. I'm not shying away mm-hmm. from my walk with uh, God. Um, but I also understand that it's, there are words that are triggering and there are words and there's, and because people have had bad experiences with the church or with, um, with the way that God was presented to them. So mm-hmm. I try to use this, these softer languages, which is actually difficult for me because I'm, I'm kind of a, a hard person. I feel my, I can be a little unyielding in, you know, my ways. And so it's just a way to be, to open that conversation, which I think worked out wonderfully for us, mm-hmm. but also letting people know that the way I approach things like decision-making I'm prayerful about it. That's absolutely true. Um, I don't just make decisions based off my own understanding, right? Lean on, on your own understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, it's a journey. That's not, I always say it's a crooked path to a perfect love. Um, following Jesus is not an easy thing to do and it's not that we're doing it well all the time. Uh, but it has certainly, I'll share this story. I don't know how much time we actually have here. So you just like coming off. Um, but when I was adopted, my parents were actually going to adopt a child from India. I was already kind of not reserved for, (laughs) that's not it, assigned to whatever. I was already being adopted by another couple. And at the kind of the last minute, my parents adoption agency lost contact with the Indian agents, uh, Indian orphanage. My, the couple I was going to actually split up, they separated. Mm. So they had me flying over from South Korea to America, or at least slated to, and they had nowhere to put me. Now this is before text messaging, it was before, you know, the true explosion of the internet. So communication was not quite as quick as it is now. And so my mom is literally like calling the agency all the time, like, where's our kid? What's going on? Meanwhile, they're like trying to figure out what to do with this baby coming from Korea because they don't know what to do with me. So then finally, they're like, do you want this baby from Korea? And my mom's like, I will take a baby from anywhere, insert country here, like from Mars. Like, we, I don't care. 
And they were like, well, maybe you should ask your husband first. And she was like, no, like just send her over. And so all of that combined, I can't believe that that was not some level of divine intervention, which is a very dramatic term to use, but that's essentially what I'm getting at. There was a plan there. Um, And I essentially feel like God rerouted me, you know, to this path. And even with my brother, uh, my parents were trying to adopt again, and my mom was in beauty school. And a woman that was in beauty school with her said, I heard that you're trying to adopt. My mom said, absolutely. And she said, well, I'm pregnant. I don't want this baby. Do you want to adopt it? And it's like, what, what, in what universe do those things kind of collide? Um, and of course, you know, I didn't recognize all of that for what it was until I was much older. But anyway, sorry. So that was just a fun story. Like, I, I really think that God was at work in creating our family. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, God's been really good and very, very faithful to me and uh, continuously shows himself to me um, in my work and in the people that he surrounds me with. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of to deny him would be to deny myself, to Mm -hmm. your point. I wouldn't be being myself if I shied away from my faith. So I don't know if that actually answered your question. It did answer the question. Um, And I think for me, seeing you model it has encouraged me and inspired me to be unapologetic. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I do it in a different way with the, with the clothing that I wear as well as like a way to, uh, to sow the seeds, but even more so in just like the language that I use, like I got that from you, you know what I mean? And so like, I never, you know, told you that, but it, uh, it it did, um, it did resonate with me and spark the way I kind of move, um, in my faith. Yes. We'll hug it out later. Um, (laughs) all right. So we talked about this, um, a little bit earlier in the interview in terms of uh, your role with, with, with Highmark and yeah. as corporate communications manager. It's a very misleading title. Yeah. I want, so, yeah, and I was getting ready to explain the definition, but I'm like, nah, let me not do that. Yeah. Um, so tell us about, you know, what you do. Um, and then you have another you have another role, too, as you know, with uh, with blueprints. Yep. So t- talk about how you've married those. Th- sure. Those roles. I love my work at Highmark. So this is a plug. <laughs> Highmark Health. Um, so as corporate communications manager, I have several functions kind of within that title. One is what we call internal communication. So it is kind of what it sounds like. It's internal to the company, to employees mostly. Then what we do, um, external comms, which again is outside of the company. Mm -hmm. So you're using different language. You're using a little bit different approach. Um, And there are different messages that you're trying to get across and just kind of like you have inside jokes with your friends. We we refer to certain external projects and differently than we do internally Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, And so there are different, you know, phrases and words and then like company culture things that we try to build into those internal communications, which is very different than external communications. External communications, um, I think what most people can relate to are news the stuff that you're hearing on the news about or from different companies, um, especially good news, that's usually done via that company, putting that out to various outlets. Um, also, ge- in general, just kind of the way that the company is presenting itself in s- some kind of consumable media. Um, so whether that's on TV, on the radio, in writing, on social media, of course, um, that's all kind of external comms. I'm either doing that directly or I am influencing it indirect or influencing it directly. Um, 
then what, what we call executive communications is leadership. So your presidents, your vice presidents, um, as a peek behind the curtain kind of thing, most of those people are not actually writing for themselves. Uh, you know, it's someone like me partnering with um, like our president, Nick Moriello. We have a great rapport. I kind of know his voice. I know the words and the language that he uses, which is different than the ones that I use. And so we'll work together to develop like his talking points um, for him to then either go record a message or give a speech or whatever. So it's, that's a very interesting um, role to have, but it, it's very cool. Then part of my job that doesn't really fall under my title is community affairs. Mm -hmm. And that was a really cool thing that I got introduced to through this job. It's not something I've done before as like a paid role, um, but sponsorship. So you go to, I don't know, the American Heart Ball, mm -hmm. and you'll see Highmark's logo on the program or on signage. So all of those types of relationships and requests and review and approval and submission things, I handle. And then Blueprints that you mentioned, which is an amazing program that Highmark does, that's our I'm going to use corporate speak just because I'm talking about it. It's our donor advised fund housed at the Delaware Community Foundation. Um, it's a grant program, essentially. And we give away millions of dollars to health focused grants, uh, health focused programs and projects to nonprofits throughout the state. Mm -hmm. That is a labor of love. And I oversee that process from start to finish every quarter from work, helping people through their application reviewing said applications, scoring those applications, doing follow-up on those applications. Um, doing I mean, don't, make, don't make it sound, you know, fun, right? It sounds... It's a lot of work. <laughs> it, it, people don't realize to give money away, it's a lot of work to yeah. give money away, as much fun as it is. <laughs> um, you know, and, and build, again, building relationships is so important um, and maintaining those relationships. And then, yeah, it's a very, it's a very daunting sense of responsibility mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you are looking at that literal health of a community or a people to say this money is going it may save your life honestly um or it may save a life or prevent some kind of something from happening to your health and it's um it's overwhelming it really is uh but it's great it's great work and it's great that uh highmark is able to do that so i think i touched on all the different aspects yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i do so, other stuff too but yeah I, <laughs> I know i know um that's i mean that's a lot i think i'm trying to figure out where i want to go with that i'll touch upon corporate communications manager first and then yeah, okay. talk about blueprints how do you ensure that the messaging is consistent right i feel like there's like i mean i don't know if you have like a standard if you have like set mm. language that you use and like i feel like you have to that's a skill right the art of storytelling and ensuring that that messaging is consistent across all yeah. boards right yep it's a very interesting balance because mm. you're balancing your business goals your business aims with like inherently doing a good thing but we all know, and this isn't cynicism, that it all comes back to brand and reputation management. And yes, we're doing a wonderful thing, but of course it has to marry with what the company is trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you know people can look at the money that we put out and get upset that we have that kind of money to give away. But at the end of the day, we don't have to give it away. Right. We don't, um, but we do. And it's amazing work. And... 
So to your point about messaging, it absolutely makes us look good when we say we gave a million dollars away. I'm not, that's absolute, and I'm not saying that's why we do it, but it, it will. So mm -hmm. of course I will capitalize on that. I'm gonna leverage that move. But within giving the money out, we are pouring over these applications, like heart and soul. We have 12 external folks that are volunteering their time to help us review those and giving us a sense of perspective from other areas of the community and business landscape and nonprofit mm -hmm. industries that help us say, okay, these are good decisions that we're making. Um, and we have an amazing nonprofit community here in Delaware. I mean, just truly, and honestly, corporate wise too, like we have such great synergy. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, mm -hmm. but there's such great synergy between companies here and the nonprofit space and just trying to figure things out, right? Um, so the, between those two things, it's like we're focused on social determinants of health, increasing access to care, which is almost kind of funny because we're a health insurance company, but we all know that not everyone has health insurance mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. good coverage. Right. It's a broken system, and we recognize that as a company. Um, and so Blueprints is almost kind of a way for us to be able to fill those gaps, mm -hmm. even within our own coverage, right? To say, okay, so we know we're not covering this health issue well, but we're going to give an organization who's handling that scenario very well $100,000 to make sure that that work continues. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, yeah. so we're just yeah. kind of trying, like in one way where we, I don't want to use the word fail, but in, in, in a sense of where we're not able to cover all of the, we don't have enough band-aids basically to cover all the cuts mm -hmm. on the business side, on the philanthropic side. We're going to do that because we can. Gotcha. So holistically, as a company, we are approaching health, you know, all of the issues. It's just maybe in a different way than the actual um, business product. Gotcha. That Does makes that make sense. sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know um, if Highmark's going to like the way that I just explained that, but I think nah, I'm okay. Yeah, I got Yeah, no, <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, well, then tell me about a moment that made it worth it. And I know that that's tough, Ooh. but there's so many. Yeah. Know. Here's the thing. We, I knew going in that we were doing really great work. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say how much money we put out, but what I was really interested in, and I know other people I work with were too, was what was the impact? Oh, it's great that I gave Jordan $5, mm -hmm. but what did Jordan do with that $5? That's what I really want to be clear about, you know? And so, yeah, we gave this organization this much money for this program, but what what was the true impact? Mm -hmm. um, and what we're looking for is not just the number of lives that were touched by it, because that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. Did we improve their health? Did we improve the trajectory of their journey so that they were empowered and educated to then make good health decisions? Um, are we educating our kids that it's okay to eat vegetables. And actually, the more that we encourage that, the healthier they're going to be when they grow up. Um, supporting green spaces in the city, because that gets back to a science of the less greenery you have, the higher the temperature is in those areas. That There's lots of all, I'm not gonna get to it because I can't speak to it well, but lots of scientific ecological things going on that affect the physical body. Mm -hmm. And those are things that we're looking to address. And some of it's long-term, we won't know for another 10 years what the impact was. But looking back, this blueprints has been around since 2008. Mm -hmm. 
what if we, what did, where did it go? Where'd the money go? And so I'm, I'm really pleased that in partnership with DCF, Highmark was able to create what we, an impact report for the first 12 years of the grant. And that was really kind of like, and that's not even work I did. That's yeah. work that my, my friend Matt Stahl, may he rest in peace, that he did with the former president, Tim Constantine, and the council that existed at that time. That was all work that was be done well before I got there. But I knew there was a story there. And then telling those stories of like after every grant cycle runs through what we've done. So it all culminates in one piece, that impact report. But I mean, man, like to see where millions of dollars have gone and that it it's it is it's changing lives. That was really cool for me. Um, but I think another thing, too, is just understanding when I came on board to do grants, that was something I'd never done before. COVID hit. I was asked to serve on a committee that reviewed COVID-specific grants. Mm -hmm. And there was a moment where I thought I couldn't do it. I said, who am I? Because these decisions impacted someone's livelihoods. Like, the, if we didn't fund this organization, they might go under. I knew that if we didn't fund this organization, that the 20 people, families that they were trying to feed may not get that food. But we had dozens of requests that far exceeded the amount we had to give. And it was a lot. That was, it was a very, it was actually very upsetting. It was very heartbreaking. I was losing a lot of sleep over that because then I was in this position of power to say yes or no. And that was hard. Um, so to get to your actual question, I think being prayerful and knowing that I was being called to be a good steward of someone else's gifts it was very real, mm -hmm. um, but I was being called to do that, and so I like honestly had to get myself together, yeah, and let it out of my hands and into God's, and then trusting the people that I was working with that we were going to make good decisions. Um, it was very humbling, but also empowering at the same time to come into that kind of confidence. That again, it's not confidence in myself; it's confidence that I'm trusting the Lord that. I'm, to not even do, be a good steward of my own gifts, but of someone else's and then trusting the people around me to also be doing some, some similar thought process. And then you just kind of have to let it go because yeah. there's nothing else you can do. That was a lot. Sorry. Nah, I'm not being no, very crisp. No, I'm you're good. You're crisp. good. You're good. And no, that was really touching. I mean, I've heard you, you know, describe this before, um, but the way you articulate it, it's very, it's just clear to me that, um, yeah, that you're doing some amazing that you're doing some amazing work, and that Highmark is leaving an imprint, you know, on organizations and communities yeah, that yeah. really need it most. I think this is a good segue to my next question: is um, what is your own personal imprint that you're looking Ooh. to leave? My legacy. Uh huh. <laughs> or that you're currently living now. Uh, yeah, you know that's that's a very human question to ask. Um, I think we get really caught up in, you know, what people think of us, good or bad. What, you know, what, what legacy am I going to leave behind? Does it matter? I don't know that it matters mm. um, necessarily. I, I think I am called to be, and I, I use that word a lot these days, to, to be a good steward. I'm being called to be, I am called to be a good steward of the gifts that I've been given. And whether that's my money, my talent, my time. 
And all I can do and feel called to do is that, is to be a good steward of those things. What that leaves behind, that's not my call. And it's not really, my goal is not even necessarily to leave something behind. It's to do good with what I've been given and trust that that is going to be a good thing. Um, I don't need to be remembered for what I've done. Mm. Um, I just need to know that I did what was right by God and by what was right by my own heart's calling. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, I'm not going to say anything after to, to think that was just, yeah, I think that stands alone. Um, oh, wait, this is one question I didn't get a chance to ask. So selfishly, right, the art of storytelling and crafting a me message for various audiences are skills of yours, right? Can you leave our audience with some advice on how they can maximize engagement, especially with like social Ooh, media? Oh, maximize engagement. Wow. Um, I think, that, you know, to not overuse a word that we hear a lot and that we've said a lot is, is authenticity, right? Um, people generally know when they're being bullcrap, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like, we can all sense that. We know when we're doing it and we know when it's being done to us. And so I think that just being exactly who you are, and that's not to say we can't improve and we can't grow um, and evolve and be better versions of ourselves, but I think just always acknowledging both the good and the bad in us um, and giving others the grace to be that same way is really important to any communicative, like anything that you're communicating and in any communication-based thing, right? So whether you're having a conversation, whether you're posting on social media, are you being you? Mm. Are you being truthful? And are you being gracious? Um, and I think that can speak to, you know, company things too, right? A, a brand, we all know when a brand is being fake, mm -hmm. how many brands came out and said, we stand behind this cause. And you're like, but do you? Mm -hmm. Have you shown that? Have you walked that walk? And, and, and we say bye, right? And so it's the same for individuals. It's the same um, whether you're doing, like, I, it's funny. I was just talking to a friend about this the other day. A press, we all have different writing styles. Mm -hmm. For me, in a press release, which is, is this the term that I need to explain? Press no, release? Got it, okay. got it, got so in a press release, my goal is to tell you the facts and to tell a story. Um... But the fact of the matter is that I did do this, right? I did give a million dollars and I'll wrap the story around that and it'll feel good. But I shy away from certain terminology, um, mostly adjectives that are fluffy feeling um, because my, my, my thing is you always under promise and over deliver one, this, sorry, I'm kind of getting all over the place here, but I was talking to a friend of mine about a press release that had been drafted for my review by someone else. And it was being issued by this other um, entity with us mentioned. And this is very common practice in communications where someone will draft something in, in totality and then give to other people to kind of review mm -hmm. because it's just easier to work from a draft. So they had drafted this thing and words like premier, state of the art, Number one destination, like the place. And talking about Delaware, I love Delaware. I will never say Delaware is the premier place to be. I wouldn't. And so 
just that sounds silly, but again, back to just like being truthful and being authentic. We're not the premier place to be. Mm-hmm. We're a cool place to be, you could mm-hmm. say. We're a great place to be. Um, we're not that. And the overselling of it was just too much. Mm-hmm. And I was like, people are going to read that. And even if they're not from Delaware, they're going to be like, nah. Right, right. Nah, nah. And so then we lose it mm. versus if we just said like, this is why we're great. This is where we're not so great, but how we're making it better. That's the way. But I got does that, really but does far that, away No, from. I got you. But does that sell, though? Right? Like, you, to your point, we have a propensity, especially as humans, right, to, to be people pleasers and to mm-hmm. say the material mm-hmm. and, 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 and the stories that will sell, that will get the most clicks, that will yeah, get yeah. the most likes. Yeah. Right? And so at the end of the day, I mean, and, and you can speak to this, right? You have to go back to your bottom line. Right. right? right. Like, well, and that's fleeting, right? We'll talk, like, we can talk about that, too, like. The clickbaiting. Mm-hmm. That's fleeting. You might have gotten a million clicks, but that one time that you cl- that some you clickbaited someone is the last time you do it. Because the one time that a company does that to you and it, you follow it and you say that was fake news, then you don't click on anything else from them. Mm. So in the initial stage, yeah. But I think a society, to your point, we are so hung up on instant gratification, forgetting that life is a long game. Mm-hmm. Trust and a legacy and a story, those all take time. Regardless of TikTok being 30 seconds, like we all know that that video, that 30 second video took someone mad hours to create, which is actually ridiculous to me. Yeah. We know that, you know, this video rolling now is going to be in totality, probably an hour trimmed down to 20 minutes or maybe less even. So we get these short snippets that we love, but we forget all that goes into it and all that is needed to make it so yeah to your point in communications it is easy to default to the easy click or the easy read um but as a brand and as a company to your point as a bottom line are you more likely to trust the company that gave you a flashy story once Mm -hmm. or the one that for the last five years of your life you knew you could rely on to provide a quality product Hmm. that's valid that's valid yeah i mean I would go with, I mean, I, but see, I, I know my values, right? And so I think people may be unsure about, or their values may not align with said company. You know what yeah. I mean? Or, I do think our younger generations that are gravitating um, toward more altruistic, more value-based choices. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see traditional media shift. Well, what's traditional at the moment, I guess. I think we're going to see the way that things are being done now with this very, like, fantastical, um, you know, the last eight years, I feel, has been very inflammatory. Um, I think we're tired of that. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to move away, or I hope we're moving away into something that's more meaningful and that we're seeking out news, we're seeking out information based on trusted sources versus what's just put in front of us. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So I think I'm, I'm hopeful that we're moving away from that because I think millennials and then what's black, what are you? Huh? Are you a millennial? I, I think I'm very much generalizing, but millennials and Gen Z, is that it? Uh, yeah, it is Gen Z. I may, I, may, I, I don't know. I, I think I, the younger crowd, and I don't mean any disrespect to, to the older generations, um, I'm, again, very much generalizing. Um, but I think we're tired of that. Mm-hmm. I think we're just tired. Of that. That's the word I was looking for, sensationalism journalists. Mm. Um, and I find that there was a point, in, and maybe even it still is, where people scroll and they're reading stuff and they're taking it as fact instead of being Aberian and 
as a reference. Anyway, yeah. instead of being good researchers and they just read this, whereas I think we're moving to a time where people are going to say, I want to know what's going on here. I want to know about this. And they're going to seek out the sources that they trust mm -hmm. versus just consuming whatever is given to them. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, all right, I want to transition to um, our Mad Minute segment. Who has had a significant impact on your life and why? Can I do a cop-out answer on that? Mm. How about I give it to you and then you tell me? All right, go okay. Ahead. I firmly believe that I am the sum of all the people that I have connected with. Now, have some people made more of an impact than others? Absolutely, and I can certainly mention them. But that said, I think that every relationship, and I mean relationship, not just acquaintance or someone mm -hmm. I'm on the street, although sometimes those have impact. But um, I just think that there are so many people in my life who have poured into me and have invested in me and have in some way shaped or provided a perspective for me that I am just all of those things. I'm made up of all those things. Um, my family, my parents absolutely are some of the most loving people. And I have to give them some, if not most, if not all credit for how I am. I mean, it's fun. People will ask like, oh, where do you get your confidence from? I don't know. I mean, certainly sir, some of it in, in terms of, you know, we've talked about my faith, but there's something that has to be instilled in you at a young age that you're okay. Mm. And I it had to be my parent. Like, you're okay. And you're going to fall and you're going to fail, but you're okay. And it's going to be okay. And so I think I went at life with just this attitude of it's going to be okay. And so then it leaves you a little more freedom to try things you maybe wouldn't have tried or do things you maybe wouldn't have done um, because I had a safe space there. So definitely my parents. And again, they're love. They're funny people. They're like the weirdest, funniest people. I love them for that. Um, uh, and just I, I won't name people because I'll forget someone and I'll feel bad. But I've had a ton of people in Delaware um, and in Maryland professionally who saw my potential before I saw it and helped build that up in me, um, encouraged me and really supported me through transitions and learning curves and all kinds of different things um, that I would, I mean, I wouldn't be here if I, if that weren't the case. Um, and so I'm just really, really thankful that I've had so many people that kind of saw the path before me mm -hmm. and lit the way before I even know that there was a path to follow. Mm. So it's been, I'm very, very, very blessed yeah. in that regard. Yeah, I'm gonna change the name moving forward to Mad Minute, from, from Mad Minute, because it's never a minute, right? Yeah, but I'm not being crisp either, so yeah. don't tell Terry okay, Stride. Right. <laughs> Sorry, um, Terry. Hobby, hobby most people don't know that you engage in. A hobby? Mm -hmm. Archery. You gotta tell. All right, I want you, you to tell knew, us more. You know I know. Yeah. You up for so that. I and I, I'm not very good, and I haven't done it in a in a minute. But I have a compound bow, a, a Matthews craze. It's purple, it matches my hair. It's purple and silver. It's awesome. Um, I have arrows with purple and orange fletching, and for people that don't know what that is, those are the little feathers on the back. Um, yeah, I picked it up in Scotland actually, 
with some friends. We were traveling and had... I know you went to Scotland. Yeah, we had some time to kill. Um, and we found this little inn in Arasag. We were waiting. I'm probably saying that terribly. Sorry, people from Scotland. Um, we were waiting for our ferry to Isle of Skye. And it was like 20 pounds to get this two-hour archery lesson on a recurve bow, which is a traditional bow, what people think of when they think of that. And it was so fun. We had a blast. And I came home and I was talking about it to my parents that we did archery and actually I didn't suck at it, which is kind of weird. I'm not very athletic. And we had so much fun. And she said, there's a place by you. So I called them. And, you know, again, just kind of having that. I went and did group lessons by my I mean, by myself to a group lesson and uh, ended up making some great friends, actually, and really loving the sport. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I love archery. It's really fun. Yeah, I mean, when you said you'll kill me, that's what like, I thought about <laughs> earlier. Like, earlier, so I was like, yeah, I mean, she is an assassin. I would, you know, I'm going to be ready for the zombie apocalypse. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely will not be. Um, <laughs> what makes you feel inspired or, like, your best self? Being around other people is really honestly where I get my energy and my inspiration from. Um, I'm a thousand percent extroverted, so COVID was definitely not my friend, but... You know, when I see and hear about people's successes or even their failures or people are willing to share to go back to this theme, <clears throat> their authentic selves with me, mm -hmm. that is just life giving. It really is because we're all so different. We're all coming from so many different angles <coughs> to do so many different things. Um, and that's really the beauty of, like, this world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not all good at the same thing. Right. And we're not all bad at the same thing. And we're not all interested in the same things. And so being around people who are willing to share pieces of their lives with me like that, that is just, I think that's so cool. I think it's really great. And and those who are willing to, like you are right now, to hear my story um, and kind of give some kind of, like, grounding to who I am so you know it's almost like creating a tangible expression of something that's so intangible so i think that's going to be my answer okay all right ring the bell these are the same two questions we give to every guest okay all right so what advice would you give your 16 year old self oh 16 gosh so dramatic today oh my god i'm you just have to man that. 16 that's tough though because when you're 16 you can't take advice you just, you don't know. You just don't, you don't know. Um, <laughs> it's going to be fine. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's going to be fine, uh, is what I would tell my 16-year-old self, because I feel for parents because they try to lead their kids, and when you're young, you really don't get it. And this phrase, you'll understand when you're older, is so true but when you're young you can't hear it you, mm -hmm. can't, you don't get because you can't um and it's not until you're older that you realize man there's so much life that i had to live to understand the lessons that i was people were trying to teach me um so keeping it simple just it's gonna be okay and you just you just got do do what you're doing and it's yeah. gonna be okay yeah what's your why my why so we touched on this earlier i have been given so much um, by way of material things and immaterial things, emotionally, you know, intellectually. And my why is 
that. My, I've been called to do good, like I said. I've been called to be a good steward of what I've been given, and that's my why. It's, I, I do things because I've been given. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually, like, grammatically correct. I think that was a weird way to answer it, but... <laughs> Yeah. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Tell me about an individual or organization that touched your heart or some or individual organization that changed your practice and the way you do things. Thanks for asking that. You're welcome. An organization that changed my life, including my heart, was Exceptional Care for Children. So this is a shameless plug for them. Exceptional Care for Children is a skilled pediatric nursing facility in Delaware that houses children with technological dependencies. And I got hooked up with them back in 2009, I want to say. And I've been involved with them ever since. Um, they're amazing. They provide an incredible home for these kids. Kids who were basically given very bleak, pro as a prognosis. Um, mm -hmm. And this facility has allowed them, thanks to the staff and the nursing the nursing staff and the administrative staff there and all the volunteers and donors to overcome and surpass those challenges most of the time and, and not always the case, but most of the time. Um, they just do incredible palliative work, incredible transitional work for these kids. Um, and that is where I met a little boy that I will talk about all the time, every day, all day. His name is Andrew. And we were connected as a mentor-mentee relationship. He was four at the time. He is autistic, and his twin brother actually lived lives at the facility as well. Um, they were conjoined twins, and both face very severe uh, developmental, both physical and mental um, challenges. So Andrew and I have become best friends. Um, he is like the light of my life, uh, my little butterfly boy, I call him, which I'm sh sure it, it's just because he loved butterflies, loves butterflies, and I don't think it's a coincidence that a caterpillar loses itself to itself in the chrysalis and then emerges as a completely new and beautiful creature that can fly. And I think that Andrew sees himself in that way that he one day he'll find his wings. Mm -hmm. um, but he is just this precious soul that has given me so much joy um, yeah, I just, my heart is full to think of him. So he just turned 15 in August. Wow, and wow. I feel old, but um, you are. I have watched that little boy learn to eat, like be potty trained, learn to talk. When he, we first met, he actually couldn't speak. He was um, sign language and like communication boards uh, and just grow up to do all the things that we weren't sure he was going to be able to do. So it's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's my favorite question. Yep. <laughs> Very impactful. Um, the one and only Danae, um, thank you again for taking the time no, and just sharing your me. story too. Yeah. Yep. Thanks for having me. Love you. Love you. All right. <laughs> cool. Thanks guys.